0: Let me welcome my my guest, Dr. Oriol Kodvilla. He's the co-leader of CBDC and financial inclusion working groups at the Global FinTech Forum GIFT. I know he's a leader in the FinTech space, in the CBDC space, you know, ruling the world from uh, east to west. He's based in uh, different geographical areas, and thank you for uh, you know, being with us, I think it is very late for you. So uh, <laughs> also uh, thank you for that. And I would like to welcome you on this platform and would love if you also introduce yourself and uh, we will proceed from there.
1: Sure, I mean, thank you very much, Rudy, for, for having me uh, here today. Actually, it's the second time that you invited me to your show because uh, I think it was in May, you invited me to participate in a fireside chat slash panel. And- alongside some some fintech leaders on on this uh, topic from a different perspective, but uh, same idea. And today I'm back here um, to discuss this topic uh, just with you and with all the the attendees, of course. Um, Well, basically about myself, um, as you mentioned now, I'm a co-leader of the uh, financial inclusion and and CBDC and blockchain working uh, working groups at the Global Impact uh, Fintech Forum which is a Singapore-based uh, think tank, but uh, which has a global reach uh, currently. Uh, aside from that, I'm also advising a few fintech companies uh, from Hong Kong, uh, Europe. I'm also uh, mentoring startups in several programs, such as, for example, uh, Cyberport in Hong Kong, uh, Tribe in Singapore, uh, Arthur in Singapore as well, so quite a few. And then I am I also hold like uh, several uh, fellow positions in in several uh, universities, such as, for example, uh, the Asian Institute of International Financial Law at the University of Hong Kong, uh, Digital Euro Association, Singapore University of Social Sciences. And then, I, well, as you can see on my LinkedIn, you know, I try to keep myself as busy and active as possible by writing as much as possible and participating in as many international conferences as possible, And especially since the pandemic began. Now that um, we can like uh, do many more things uh, virtually, I've been participating in over uh, 70 uh, conferences this last uh, few years, talking normally about uh, either blockchain in general or blockchain in banking, or uh, more specifically lately CBDCs, you know, which is a fascinating topic, and I'm sure that it's going to arise many, many questions and, and concerns.
0: Ah uh, yes, indeed, and I think it's you know the latest hype in the world uh, today. Uh, you know, aside from crypto and Bitcoin. I think uh, the CBDC is one of the most, uh, you know, hyped uh, topic uh, also, and that's why I think uh, we are here, and that's why I think you are here. And uh, so, uh, you know, the first question, just to set the mood: um, What is uh, CBDC? If you'd like to, you know, uh, explain it in uh, simple terms, because we don't want to go into that, uh, uh, you know, technical terms which. Gets people lost. That's the most important part. This is our role, I think, and you're one of them, to try to simplify today all of these technical terms and uh, you know the blockchain and how it works and what so on. Uh, so, what is your definition of the CBDC? What is CBDC from a user's perspective? Will it have uh, you know uh, an impact in the world? Uh, let's go into those, and then we will definitely jump into more.
1: Sure, sure. Um, Well, I mean, to make it simple, I would say that a central bank digital currency is actually defined by its very own name. It's um, a currency issued by a central bank. Therefore, it is legal tender. And at the same time, it's going to be digital. I know it sounds obvious, but I mean, actually, it's not that obvious, no, because I mean, um, people try to compare CBDCs with uh, cryptocurrencies all the time as you can see the concept is actually very different in many different ways so to me i mean the idea of a cbdc is nothing else but a digital form of that um, euro u.s dollar or yuan that we already have you know? so it's basically uh, put that in, in, into like a digital version it sounds very simple but it's not that simple because unlike traditional uh, coins and notes which as you know are like minted and printed and that's all. CBDCs are actually, by its own very definition, programmable money, which means that um, central banks are going to be able to add or remove certain features from those CBDCs depending on what uh, priorities those central banks have. So, I mean, for example, you know, I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible, but there are like several uh, possible motivations behind CBDCs. You know? I mean, a central bank May be interested in issuing a CBDC because they want, for example, to uh, promote financial inclusion, to try to um, to fight against privately issued stable coins, because they want to um, to prevent financial crime much more efficiently because they want to replace physical banknotes. I mean, there's like a myriad of reasons behind a central bank issuing a CBDC. So that's why. Um, one cbdc will not need to look like another cbdc at all no i mean for example digital yuan despite being a cbdc in the future may not look at all like for example the future digital euro and so on and so forth so i would say that's like the general idea in a few words
0: yes and uh, that's very good uh, definition just you know to try to uh, simplify it uh, to our audience. And thank you for that. But can you give us, you know, a very specific, because today the hype is on crypto, Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum and, you know, trading and making money. And that's the only thing people are interested in. Whereas the technology by itself is is what's actually, you know, a triggered uh, CBDC. Do you mind also giving us a small, int- not introduction, comparison between uh, the traditional CBDC and uh, the traditional crypto?
1: Uh, coins or digital coins? Mm, sure. Um, I would say that um, those are like two completely different ideas in many, in many ways. Um, I mean, as I said before, CBDCs are issued by a central bank because they are. I mean, they are issued by a central bank, therefore they are legal tender per se, which means that they are like um, as centralized as anything can be. You no, know? because I mean, it's as centralized as the legal tender that we already have, but even much more um, controlled um in the sense that central banks are going to be able to control much more efficiently all the, the flow no? and they're going to be able much more capable of tracking uh, uh let's say who pays what so in that sense you can easily see it as centralized as, as it can be whereas cryptocurrencies are by its own very definition like uh, the opposite cryptocurrencies are um the flagship of this uh, movement known as DeFi, decentralized finance whose like main uh, Uh, features precisely the fact of being decentralized. So as you can see, um, first of all, when it comes to the rationale or the purpose behind uh, both, you can see that um, that of cryptos is actually very different from that of cryptocurrencies. But then if we dig a bit deeper, we can also uh, realize that there are many more differences. Uh, For example, also the fact that um, the practical use that you can make uh, out of both of them is um, to some extent uh, quite different, no? Because I mean, CBDCs being legal tender are going to be basically used for for the same uh, purposes that we currently use uh, um, fiat money. I mean, we're going to be using CBDCs for making and receiving payments, um, to, to to get our salary paid in a CBDC, etc. No, and if eventually deployed in our uh, respective countries. Whilst when it comes to cryptocurrencies, you can of course uh, use cryptocurrencies to make payments. I mean. That it's possible, no, it happens in many places. But uh, cryptocurrencies are, or at least have been so far. Uh, more uh, focused towards the idea of, uh, of um, investment. No? I mean, it's what you said before, really. No? Um, many people, when they talk about cryptos, they are not so interested in this idea of making and receiving payments, but they are more interested in the idea of using cryptos as an investment asset class, to the point that many jurisdictions actually consider cryptocurrencies not as an actual currency, but as a commodity. So that's why, as you can see, it's not just that the purpose is different. It's also the fact that the the way you can use both of them is to some extent quite different, even though there might be overlaps. But generally speaking, it is different. So I think those would be like two main differences between the two of them. But at the same time, I don't mean by that that um, that we just see differences. I mean, from a technical perspective, uh, there are like many similarities between CBDCs and cryptos. And this is so because um, cryptos existed from, from before. no? So CBDCs have or are currently trying to adopt some of those um, some of those uh, features you no know, such as for example when it comes to to the case of the digital yuan the use of these uh, two key architecture system to secure transactions that's something that belongs to the crypto world uh, and has been adopted by the Cbdc world because technically speaking there are of course similarities there are areas where CBDCs or central banks should I say try to learn more from from the crypto world so it's not like um, both of them are like uh, sitting apart it's nothing like that now technically speaking it's not so so different. Uh, it, the difference is more when it comes, to what I said before, no, to the rationale behind them, to the purpose, to to how you will like normally uh, use each one of them. Uh, even though, of course, I mean, the, as I said before, there are like many many caveats, many many like um, things we can like um, notice and discuss. Because um, I said before that uh, that cbc's are legal tender, etc., while cryptocurrencies are not. But cryptos can be legal tender. No, I mean, we saw, for example, El Salvador you know, on September seven. Um, well, stating and, and and officializing the fact that uh, Bitcoin is their legal tender now. So, I mean, of course, what I said is not like set in stone. There are like overlaps and differences, but I think that at least that's a general idea that you should, uh, that you uh, should uh, keep in mind.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I will go into the El Salvador uh, in the end maybe just a little bit to uh, you know try to see what did El Salvador uh, do and and that is you know a financial. Uh, innovation in the business model or the financial model that they try to adopt. Uh, Don't forget to uh, join our WhatsApp group. And also, if you want a certificate, we posted the links. And if you are interested into the masterclass of digital transformation, which includes digital transformation, artificial intelligence, and blockchain with our uh, leading uh, trainers from the world, uh, please, it is free. Do join you know, take the benefit of it. Uh, let's let's move on. I, I started having questions. We will ask them a little bit, you know, going forward. You mentioned digital uh, yuan in your uh, introduction to CBDC. Do you mind telling us uh, about the digital yuan and why so far it is the most or the biggest project and the most, you know, uh, hyped project in the world of digital currencies, of CDBCs?
1: Sure, sure. Well, actually, um, it was uh, thanks to or because of Digital Yuan um, that I started uh, to like dig deeper into this uh, CBDC world. Uh, basically, well, because uh, being based in Hong Kong, that, that made sense to me you now. So, uh, Digital Yuan, as you said, it's probably like the... Well, not probably. It's actually the most advanced uh, CBDC project in any advanced or major economy. So, uh, it's not going to be the first... Um, CBDC issued like uh, in the world because the Bahamas, for example, in the Caribbean, they issued their own uh, CBDC, the Sun Dollar, last uh, year, uh, over one year ago, and there are like other projects and uh, more advanced, as, For example, a project Bakong back in Cambodia. So, I mean, I don't mean by that that uh, digital yuan is the first uh, CBDC that is going to to become like uh, a reality, but it's going to be the first. Um, CBDC belonging to a major economy, that it's going to become a reality. So that's what makes Digital Yuan so important. Because I mean, I mean, with all my due respect to, to any Caribbean uh, country, uh, you cannot compare no, how important it is um, like uh, China and when it comes to, to, to global trade, no? And in general, when it com- comes to pretty much everything. So that's why um, well, Digital Yuan is actually a very interesting project in that sense. I think we can learn certain things from digital yuan, but um, just to some extent. And I said to some extent, because as I said before, um, one CBDC doesn't need to look like the other one in the sense that, as I said, as well, digital yuan, for example, will not need to look at all like the future digital euro or digital Canadian dollar or digital US dollar. So that's why we can learn from, from China's experience. But we need also to, to like, uh, learn by doing our own mistakes in, in the other uh, places. Going back to, to China, well, I mean, it's not been like something that happened like uh, overnight. I mean, China started to test, um, well, actually I should say to do research on their digital yuan in 2014. And six years later, in April 2020, last year, they started to actually test it after six years of research. Those tests started last year in in four uh, cities, and then it was extended to a few more, including uh, the regions of Hong Kong and and Macau. The thing about Digital Yuan is that, um, well, I mean, it's going to be deployed very soon. Actually, Beijing's idea, which will happen for sure, is to deploy it uh, massively by the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing, which, as you know, are going to take place in Beijing in over two months from from now. So it's going to become a reality like very, very soon. And I think the, the thing about CBDCs uh, is that um, they're somehow going to—I'm to, not going to say alter, to, but to become you know, one more key player in all this uh, well money industry, you know, in all the payments and money. So because it's one player that we didn't like uh, have before in trying to, to to bring like new interesting ideas and perspectives. So that's why digital yuan might be interesting as a project for this idea of being like the first major economy, you know, actually deploying a. Such a, an, an interesting uh, project.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, very interesting <laughs> the way you know you you approached it uh, in different perspective. Uh, let's move on to new maybe terms that are not uh, you know uh, familiar. And what's happening also on uh, you know digital euro uh, project Abir in UAE and KSA, and also the CBDC bridge. What is a CBDC bridge? or projects you know related to all of those CBDCs so that uh, you know our audience can take even more from the region what's happening in our region especially in the gcc
1: sure well i mean there are like many ongoing uh, CBDC projects uh, worldwide actually uh, some, i normally start by saying i didn't today but i normally start by saying that uh, more than 80% of uh, the world's uh, central banks are currently engaged in some kind of work on CBDCs. I don't mean by that that 80% of central banks are testing their own CBDCs, but what I mean by that is that uh, 80% of them are at least doing some kind of initial research. In some cases, that process is much more advanced, like for example China. In other cases, it's just an initial research and it's going to take them like well, many years to complete if they eventually do No, but i think it is interesting to see so many central banks um, eager to learn more about this topic even if they eventually will not deploy it because we don't know how many will actually deploy it. know but seeing so much interest is something that we must um well pay attention to um out of these projects i mean we could like talk about like uh, so many I think it is important to to talk, for example, about uh, Project Haber, which you just uh, mentioned. Project Haber was actually a project um, which took place in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. It was a wholesale CBDC project because um, most of the projects that we are mentioning are actually retail CBDC projects. Uh, I guess we're going to get back later to this uh, difference, but I'm just going to point this out uh, now briefly. So basically, uh, this Project Haber was um, designed to analyze whether issuing a wholesale CBDC between the central banks of Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates was uh, technically feasible and whether it was uh, interesting or not to use a blockchain to do so. Uh, that project was started in uh, early to- 2019 and the final uh, report was published uh, exactly one year ago, on November 30, 2020. And it's interesting to read that report. It's a 100-page report where both uh, central banks analyzed uh, well how they did it, what they expected to get from from that uh, project, etc. And well, I mean, to make it um, as short as possible, basically the idea was what we said, not to try to um, test a wholesale CbDC between both central banks and to make those tests much more um, effective. Each country uh, added three commercial banks to the to the other ecosystem. So in total, we were talking about the central banks of both countries plus. Three commercial banks from Saudi Arabia and three commercial banks from the United Arab Emirates, and the conclusions were actually um, very positive. I mean, it was concluded that it was uh, possible to to issue a wholesale CBDC um, between uh, both uh, countries, and it was also concluded that using blockchain, that using blockchain to do so was actually not just possible but even advisable. It was a great idea. So that's a project that you should. Um, Check if you are interested in learning more about that. Then there is of course um, The mCBDC bridge project in in Hong Kong Um, It's actually quite interesting to talk about Hong Kong because Hong Kong's uh, Monetary authority is currently involved in three CBDC projects. They are testing digital yuan China's digital yuan They are also analyzing the idea of um, potentially studying a um, An electronic Hong Kong dollar in the future and then in third place, They are um, part of this MCBDC bridge project, which actually involves not just Hong Kong's monetary authority, but also uh, the People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of Thailand, and the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates. So it's a wholesale CBDC project involving those four central banks, uh, which is what makes it uh, much more interesting in order to analyze uh, basically um, uh, things about uh, making payments much more, seamless and, and efficient and one more project of course is that one that you mentioned now the digital euro uh, it's taken a while for europe to decide whether they want it or not to to engage on this idea of uh, issuing CBDC. but it was finally decided that they would be working towards this idea and they are uh, well, about to start the test phase which is going to last uh, in theory they were talking about two slash three years but i mean it might be true that they may pull it off in such a short period of time, but looking at how many years it took China to, to actually get there, uh, I think that uh, more realistically we should be talking about four or five years at least.
0: Uh, four or five years, <laughs> I think uh, they were going to be out of outdated. Isn't that you know always a question that is being asked? Because I've seen also on the on the Bank of England uh, side uh some news also that they are also starting you know they are you know and Mm -hmm. while china is being a leader uh, even the middle east is uh trying to disrupt this uh, ways uh we have uh, the caribbean also working on different projects and you know other other world countries also you know much for
1: cambodia for example yes yes
0: yeah. What do you think about this, you know, being, you know, late in the game or it doesn't matter later on, you know, everything will be uh, fine tuned across everybody or it has to be one global system for it to be effective?
1: No, it matters. It matters very much, actually, to be late. Um, I think that once again, the West has uh, reacted a bit uh, a bit too slow. I mean, it's not that you need to be first. No, I mean, you are free, like, to... to work on your CBDC and deploy it in your own country whenever you want. But uh, you are like kind of missing the point if you are late, because first of all, one of the reasons behind uh, certain countries when when studying and deploying a CBDC is to try to fight uh, especially stable coins. I don't think that CBDC, as I said before, Uh, can compete with cryptocurrencies, because with general cryptos, because uh, we're talking about two very different uh, concepts. However, when it comes to stable coins, well, I mean, we can see like a clear uh, overlap between TBCs and stable coins when it comes to to the idea. So I think that if the intention that some central banks have is to try to not fight against, but at least uh, try to block a bit privately issued stable coins, it doesn't make any sense if your CBDC arrives, let's say in uh, four, five, six, seven years from today, because stablecoins are already here, so I mean it's definitely too slow in that sense. And then uh, I think that uh, there is one more reason to be concerned when it comes, for example, to um, what other uses you may give to your CBDC. You no, know? I mean internally it is clear that you can use your CBDC to um, uh, make payments much more efficient, and then for. Many more purposes, as I said before. But aside from that, there is one more objective that CBDCs may uh, may um, try to to reach, and that one is to try to uh, increase a certain currency's uh, role in international trade. Uh, Let's look at China, for example. We all know that China is about to become, in a few years from now, the world's number one economy, etc. But um, one of China's um, problems, uh, when it comes at least to its currency, has been that the RMB, the Yuan, has never managed to fight, uh, to, to fight the dominance of the US dollar uh, in any possible way. And that's so because unlike the US dollar, the Yuan is a non-convertible currency. So one of the reasons why China has been so active and so eager to promote their digital Yuan is precisely to try to, to some extent, um, fight this dominance of the US dollar and to try to convert some of those US dollar-denominated transactions in international trade into RMB-denominated ones. That's not going to happen overnight if it happens. I mean, I don't mean by that that the yuan is going to become the world's number one currency. It's not going to be like that. It takes time. But we can see that this is one of China's main intentions. I mean, we saw, for example, China's central bank signing a joint venture with Swift in February with the goal of internationalizing the yuan. We also uh, saw China starting to test digital yuan in Hong Kong and Macau for uh, cross-border payments. And we saw um, China creating this uh, very interesting uh, blockchain service network uh, platform, BSN, which uh, may serve in the future as a way to try to to create some kind of interoperability between CBDCs. We also saw China, for example, uh, signing a, a free trade agreement like the RCEP, which or, or um, increasing the importance of the Belt and Road Initiative, which are going to create, to some extent, huge free trade areas where China is going to be able to try to deploy their digital yuan for cross-border payments. So being late matters. It matters if the US dollar um, is like the last one to arrive. And actually, it will be like one of the last ones because uh, the US is actually much more behind than, than even Europe. You no, know? So it may matter. I don't mean by that that, um, that China's yuan is going to become like the number one currency like overnight or anything like that. It's not like that necessarily. But it matters to some extent to be fast. And I think that, um, well, that uh, perhaps certain countries should have started before. But of course, as I said before, it depends on each country's like uh, Policies and interests uh, to decide whether to do it or not.
0: Yeah, very interesting uh, point of view. And uh, we've got more questions, and this is this is great. We'll we'll get them and we'll start getting them one by one after this uh, question, and then we'll go for uh, the audience question. Thank you, um, uh, thank you, Sherbel, thank you, Jamal, thank you, Mazen. Please bear, stay with us. Um, I'm going to jump to you know um, the traditional banking sy- systems and uh, the CBDC uh, today. Uh, you know, is there any point of view or uh, that you can put into perspective or add value to this point uh, regarding where you know some of the banks are really continuing to be traditional regardless of any digital aspect?
1: Well, I know there's been like a much concern about uh, what role. Um, traditional banks are going to play in a future where uh, CBDCs become uh, massive, if that happens, or massively used, should I say. But I don't think that should be an actual uh, concern. And this is so because, I mean, it is true that, uh, theoretically speaking, it would be possible for central banks to issue that CBDC directly to the public at large, like by skipping uh, the role of commercial banks. So that direct interaction between central banks and uh, end users and the the general public uh, is possible theoretically, but I mean we need to be realistic uh, and and it's not just uh, some random thought of mine. I mean it's what we see from all those tests and projects that we mentioned before. Um, All these uh, projects are actually testing a, a hybrid model where the central bank is going to issue the CBDC to the intermediaries, uh, that is, the commercial banks, and those are going to issue the CBDC then, like uh, as a second level, to the public at large. So, so commercial banks are not going to, to disappear. It wouldn't make much sense for a central bank to deal directly with the um, public at large and, and thus skip uh, commercial banks. It wouldn't make much sense, I would say, for two reasons. First of all, because uh, central banks um, have like other uh, concerns and roles and purposes rather than just uh, trying to to merge the, the roles that commercial banks do. I mean, central banks are there for something else, no, than interacting with, uh, with the public, no? So it wouldn't make much sense. It wouldn't be efficient for a central bank to do so. And secondly, by doing so, commercial banks would be kind of destroying their commercial bank system, the uh, commercial bank system of, of a country, of a certain country. So no one is interested in doing so. So that's why I don't foresee any kind of uh, revolution in that sense. I simply think that commercial banks will need to adapt, but not just to CBDCs. Commercial banks will need to adapt to um, technology in general. They need to become much more tech-oriented and also to many more phenomena, such as, for example, cryptocurrencies. I mean, I don't say by that that uh, all of us are going to get our salaries paid in cryptos or, or pay everything in cryptos. I don't mean that. But at the same time, it is undeniable that um money is not just uh, or money nowadays doesn't mean what it used to mean like 20 years ago money right now is much more than a fiat currency you know? or should I say much more than a, a physical um fiat currency you no know? i mean it also includes or will include CBDCs but it also includes uh, all this whole crypto world including stable coins so that's why uh, banks um will need to adapt and not just to to doing their operations uh, virtually. No? That's why we are seeing this rise of virtual banks, but also to this whole idea that they need to offer much more than what they did before. And we're actually starting to see that in certain places. I mean, for example, in Singapore, um, DBS launched that crypto exchange and much more um, banks are like uh, open-minded towards these uh, new ideas. No? Because I mean, people are actually like, um, changing their mindset, so I think they will need to adapt, but I don't foresee like any kind of uh, you know revolution or, or them disappearing. It's not about that, at least to me. Yeah,
0: uh, thank you for that. And I think you're, you're in a position, uh, geographically at least, uh, other than the networking and the network you are in and uh, the position that you are in is privileged to see what's happening uh, in the world. So let me take my uh, first question, uh, Sherbel, if you would like to ask it live, Uh, please open your microphone and then go ahead. And then let me remind you to join our WhatsApp group. And of course, uh, also uh, for the certificate of attendance, if you may request one, and also uh, regarding our uh, intro to master digital transformation uh, workshop, which is free happening on the 30th of uh, November. So Sherbil, if you don't mind opening your your, uh, mic. Okay, uh, I'll ask the question on his behalf. How is using CBDC different from electronic payment using normal normal currencies?
1: That's actually um, a very interesting question that many people ask me uh, all the time. Um, I mean, I get your your um, your thoughts. I mean, you might be wondering, like, uh, if uh, my salary gets paid to my bank account, like uh, electronically or or virtually, if I make most of my payments, like um, e-commerce payments or whatever, using my credit card, but without like uh, ever or or not often using um, coins or notes, I mean, uh, how is a CBDC going to be different to that? I mean, many people ask me like, aren't we like to some extent already using CBDCs? Well, the answer is no, it's different. Even though for you as an end user, it's not going to make initially a huge difference, it is different, especially from the from the macro perspective, from the central bank perspective. Uh, this is all because, I mean, while real central bank money is a um, component of the monetary base and therefore a liability against the central bank, uh, those uh, payments that, that that money that we use digitally nowadays is like um, nothing else but uh, credits and debits between two uh, providers. For example, our um, uh, credit card. Um, company and, and the merchant so this is why uh, it's that for you as an end user it's not going to make much difference to make a transfer like uh um from your bank account to another bank account uh, using a physical real or, um, or physical uh, dinar or physical uh, euro or doing a cbdc but actually i mean when you look at what you're actually doing like from a macro perspective or from an economic perspective there is a difference between because in in your case what you're doing is a um, well, as uh, so I said before, no, I mean, it just represents like debits and credits between two providers, whereas CBC will be central bank money. So there is a difference, even though for you as a user, it will not be that noticeable in that
0: case. So, uh, yeah, thanks. I'll take uh, Mazen. Mazen, if you like to open your mic or I'll ask it.
2: It's OK. It, it shouldn't be one to one question. I'm open to conversation so everyone can uh, put his perspective in the, in the topic uh my concern is that uh, cdbc and crypto like complement each other what we get an advantage from one we got a uh, disadvantage in the other and the main concern in our country now we have we are living a uh, current crisis in and uh, rates and uh, conversion rates what is the implication and how 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 can we protect our local currency in this perspective instead of dollarization and going into the stream of uh, uh, really, to bypassing and killing our local currency. This is the first uh, topic. The second topic is uh, purely legal. So, what we what we gain in DeFi, we are uh, losing in uh, centralized uh, centralized uh, uh, central bank digital currency. In terms that the central banks have legislation and can protect people, uh, especially when we are now we are losing our money in Lebanon and people are in fear. And people who are enthusiastic about this issue uh, are waiting for some re- legislations to to gain some of their belongings and uh, deposits. So if we if we if we rely on central banks to protect us with legislations and something like that, we we, we lose really in decentralization. And even in this decentralization, we are we are in a, in a region really governed by trafficking, by selling drugs and weapons and uh, you know that the United States is fighting this uh, the transfers of money and they, need, they need really are putting some stress to control and track every single transfer that's coming for funding some terrorist groups like ISIS, like other groups in, in Yemen and every, everywhere in the region. So our region is really in perturbation. We cannot really compare to America or Europe or even uh, Africa or even Asia, so we yeah, are talking in, in perturbation groups that are really uh, can um, somehow be uh,
0: crippled to, to work like it should. Okay, if thank you, man. Man, because I'm going to follow it by another question, which is very similar, uh, also from Jamal Fatah, which uh, says, banks and central banks have failed in many countries. Uh, why should people and business still trust them with their money And what should they do to rebuild that global trust on a global perspective, not just local?
1: Well, I think um, those are like fair questions. But at the same time, um, it is true that they may have failed, but at the same time, um, what's the alternative? No, I mean, that's the thing. I I think we need to be realistic. Um, So I know that many people are talking about this case of El Salvador, which is, of course, interesting as as a lab case. But at the same time, you cannot forget that El Salvador like, lacked any kind of monetary policy whatsoever before. I mean, their monetary policy was practically non-existent. It was a huge mess. So that's why, uh, I mean, trying to make this kind of experiments, it's kind of easier in a place like El Salvador compared to, for example, let's say, um, I don't know, if, if any like, country from the West or, or East Asia were about to do the same. No, So that's why uh, we need to look alike, uh, on a case-by-case basis. I mean, generally speaking. Um, I don't think that CBCs are like designed to, to make people regain any kind of trust towards the financial system. No, I mean, I think that uh, that's something that takes time and much more than a you No, know, for some people. I think CBCs may make payments more, more efficient and, and I mean, and they may... Uh, promote financial inclusion, as I said before, there are like many advantages, you know, that CBDCs may have. But I mean, rebuilding the trust towards the financial system—that's something that takes uh, time, and and of course, it depends on every country. Because as you were saying before, the circumstances, as you politically speaking, from a country uh, compared to another one, are not the same. So that's why, you know, trying to compare um, how a CBDC will affect um, countries in general—that's that's not fair in the sense that it's not going to affect every country in the same way, you no, know, because all countries are different. So that's why, I mean, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to say in the same way that Massen um, who said before that um, CBCs will complement cryptos. Well, I mean, once again, yes and no, I mean, it's going to depend on each government. I mean, in some cases, uh, it's actually the opposite. For example, if you look at China, China is promoting its own CBC digital yuan whilst uh, being very tough on crypto. So in that case, they are not seen as a complement, rather than, than the opposite. No, so uh, I think it's going to depend to each country, and it's kind of difficult to to make any general statement. No, I mean, we can just talk about general ideas. I mean, generally speaking, uh, in the area of monetary policy, CBCs might be beneficial. No, I mean they may um, allow monetary policy to to break below the the ELB, no, the effective lower bound, and I mean it's going to to potentially bring benefits to to. Um, to the area of monetary policy, but once again, it's going to depend on how effectively each country implements its own Cbdc, and also, of course, on each country's uh, previous circumstances. You no, know? because I mean, in certain countries, uh, which uh, depending on their circumstances, like uh, countries in war or whatever reason, well, I mean, in those cases, of course, it's much more difficult. You no, know? it's much more difficult to try to to like create new systems of payment if there is like such an underlying issue. So you need to go like more on a case-by-case basis
0: yeah that, that's where you know there's no, there's a standard technology there but there's no standard implementation and use case uh exactly. because every country has its own you know proprietary uh rules regulations uh situation you know you cannot take a cbdc implemented in uh, in, in europe uh versus CBDC implemented even in china or implemented in the U.S. or in uh, UAE, or I don't think. But that's that's going to be a problem in the future in, in the end because you know we have CBDC now, uh, and then it's uh, more of one to one between two different countries. But there's no gateway to, uh, you know, try to bridge all of these. This is maybe that was the bridge that you were possibly talking about.
1: Yes. yes.
0: And, uh, but because it's not built on a standard format, standard, uh, um, you know, a language or standard APIs, because this is, in the end of the day, it has to be an API driven, even if it is on a blockchain, you need to open it using uh, a blockchain APIs or uh, bridges or chains, as we, we say, uh, so it's going to be really, uh, really tough uh, <laughs> uh, having a standard way of implementation in the future.
1: Yes, actually,
0: Allow me to clarify something. Yes, the yes. Uh,
2: regarding the trust, uh, I don't, uh, let me put a question. Do you trust more? But do you mind uh, asking like, uh, the
3: question, Mazen?
2: Yes. Yes, uh, the, the question I'm going to put it, it's like it's a, it's first about the trust, that you can trust the registration the of people you really elected. Now, I'm not talking about Lebanon, of course, because we have a, this matter of trust. But worldwide, people are more than, than more to trust the central bank of the people who have elected, they have deputies where they can influence more than some crypto world. That is really obscure. We have names. We have uh, Bitcoin that is created from someone we don't really know, and we have some new cryptocurrencies that are created like fake, and uh, we have too many frauds. I'm not talking about food, I'm, I'm talking about trust. The second thing is about culture. The our countries are more are more tending to use cash and hide cash uh, under their pillows, which which really is, uh, somehow help some people to uh, to save their money for deposits in, in our crisis. So me- people um, are really, not in, in culture, in our country, are not really tending to uh, like use in Singapore Singapore or China. The third uh, comment is about the United States and China, which are the, the biggest economies in the world. They are fighting crypto. Uh, the, the the head of treasury in the United States is keeping sending warnings over and over again. And even the China is Starting a fight—it's it's really a, a battle against crypto, and even in Australia, and you are seeing this trend going back in Europe and somehow to United Kingdom. So I, I i agree with you that central banks and governments fight this world of crypto and decentralized financing, where they cannot control terrorism, trafficking, and everything. So uh, what I said—they complement each other. It's not—it's not in the same uh, quadrant.
1: They are really in the opposite and fighting each other. Yes but, and, yes, but yes, uh, uh, one thing, one thing. Please notice, I didn't say that central banks are fighting cryptocurrencies. I said that that depends on each central bank. I just gave you some examples of um, what China's doing, what our country is doing, but we cannot like generalize and say that central banks fight this or don't fight that or they make mistakes. It's all about each central bank. It's what I said before. I mean, you cannot like compare. Uh, the circumstances in your country with your your neighbor and the other neighbor, it depends on on everyone. And going going back to what Rudy said before about um, this lack of um, interoperability, I think that's because the key in this whole um, area is precisely that idea of interoperability. I mean, it's not going to make any sense uh, the idea of uh, creating and deploying a CBDC for cross-border payments, uh, whether it comes from China or from Europe. If you don't create like the right technical platform, joined by more than one country, allowing you, you know to to make your CBDC become interoperable, that's what China started to to try to do with uh, its BSM. But of course, I mean we don't know whether this interoperability will actually come or not. So that's one of the big like questions that remains when it comes to what will happen with uh, CBDCs in the future.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'll I'll take a question from uh, Mohammed Hailey.
3: Uh, good evening. Uh, actually, uh, I, don't, I have an observation more than a question. When, uh, first, when we talk about China, uh, China, uh, just to point out that the yuan joined the special drawing right as one of the major currencies consisting the special drawing right, and it become tradable, but it is not a currency that is in demand to be held by central banks as part of its hard currency. Reserve. Uh, On the other hand, I think we did not uh, emphasize the decentralized uh, nature of uh, central bank digital currency, which is that's the only thing it has in common with cryptocurrency. That decentralized nation is that decentralized nature is very important. Why it kind of steals the power away from central banks and it makes it very difficult to control monetary policy. On the other hand, currency is part of the sovereign identity of a nation. It's very difficult to give it up because once you give it up and you move to central bank digital currency, it's going to be on technical issues, you differentiate one currency from the other. And finally, we have to differentiate between delivery channels, the way you interface with a financial institution, electronic payments, and digital currency. The two are completely different. Today, banks use uh, the digital technology uh, to facilitate interface between their clients and their back uh, office operation. We have e-wallet. It's just another way of interfacing with the client. That's not digital currency and china today the experience in china and the test pilot they have on central bank digital currency even china called it electronic payment and not central bank digital currency in the purest sense of a digital currency
1: okay let me start uh, first of all when you may, uh, were talking about the digital yuan the sorry the, the rmb in general uh, it's pretty much what i said before it's a non-convertible currency so that's one of the reasons why it's not become like a, a used as a U.S. dollar international trade, no. So I mean, solving that, uh, I mean, the digital yuan is not going to solve that, but uh, by by doing what I said before, they will try to to convert some uh, um, U.S. dollar denominated transactions into rmb denominated ones, which is going, of course, to take time. But then I I agree with you as well when you mentioned that uh, well giving away. A currency is giving away power. That, that part is, is fine by me, but I don't agree when you mentioned that um, CBDCs are uh, like uh, decentralized. No, I mean, you said something about uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, CBDCs and decentralization, and it's not actually like that. I mean, CBDCs are going to be centralized. They are going to be issued by a central bank. Not all CBDCs will use blockchain, or at least no, not all of them will like completely use blockchain. No, So that's why they may use blockchain in some Part of it, like uh, China's digital yuan will use it like just like on the second level of the pyramid, but not on the first level. So that's why, I mean, technically speaking, there might be similarities with cryptos, but the idea behind CBDC is actually that of uh, centralization, Uh, despite uh, being, technologically speaking, more related to cryptos than with something uh, else. And going back to what you said before about the wallets, well, it's true that China calls uh, its its, uh, digital yuan. DCP, but it's a CBDC nonetheless. Uh,
3: I may follow up or not?
0: Yeah, please, please.
3: Well, when you're talking about the, uh, uh, when I talked about the Chinese currency, uh, when it became, during uh, Christine Lagarde's uh, term with the IMF, it became part of the hard currency composing the special drawing rights. And today, I can exchange my SDR for Chinese currency, uh, euros or dollars or Japanese yen. So it becomes convertible, but it's not in demand for the payment of transactions like oil exporting and importing and what have you. On the decentralization issues, you know that central banks are uh, discussing and talking and uh, thinking about how they're going to issue central bank digital currency. Is it directly on a retail basis or a wholesale basis, which means that they're going to issue it directly to the uh, the individual or through the banking system. And they haven't settled that yet because they want to make sure that however way they issue it, they keep control of uh, of, uh, monetary policy. If I have a digital wallet with digital currency, I can transfer to you whatever I want, without going through any system and the, this is and you know that the swedish central bank uh, uh, experimented with digital currency using distributed ledger technology and their experiment failed and that was back in 1997 if i'm not mistaken
1: i'm done thank you okay thank you well uh, about the rmb it's pretty much what what we said i mean Yes, it's true. What you mentioned now about the IMF and Lagarde, but I mean, in practice, it is what it is. And, um, and following the, the second part where you talked about uh, CBDCs, well, I mean, it's true that central banks are still deciding uh, what to do. No, I mean that that's the key point here. I mean, it's what I said before. No? I mean, unlike China, which is more advanced than other countries, in most other countries, it's still like a project. I mean, in Europe, we didn't like even start to test it. Same idea applies to many other countries. So that's why. What CBDCs will be in the end, or how they will like effectively um, be effectively like deployed, uh, we cannot like know it for sure, no, because it's still something like very, like uh, it's still at a very like nascent or initial stage, the
0: infancy uh, stage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where you know uh, we're, we're there to discover. I think uh, same as bitcoins and same as uh, uh, the crypto coins, even though you know they are a bit older. Somehow on the technology of CBDCs, regardless, there was uh, previous trials. Even you know uh, the Bitcoin itself dates back also to the 90s, where some technology about decentralized uh, DLTs and so on also uh, talks about it. But it was not uh, used or uh, as a financial tool until uh, the 2008-2009 uh, with Satoshi. Um, yeah uh let's take uh, the last uh, uh, questions uh if you may from Ahmad Mansour is there a framework from uh, available for transforming towards uh, CBDCs are you aware of any
1: like you mean an, an international framework or
0: yeah yeah they should have I uh... I think the BIS uh, Published something related to a blockchain, if I'm not mistaken. Uh,
1: yes, I mean the BIS has been like publishing on this um, this topic, on this idea, some papers, some reports. I mean there is that, but there is no actual like actual actual framework, you know. I mean because it's still something that uh, it's still like an infant stage, you know, as I said before. So it pretty much depends on its central bank. So there are like some uh, some reports, you know, by by the BIS, basically and then exploring you know these kind of ideas and some like initial attempts to create some systems that will uh, facilitate uh, interoperability such as Chinese BSN and others but it's still like uh, too early you know we are still at, at a too early stage to to actually talk about any kind of framework I mean because I mean like in actuality only the Bahamas actually deployed their own C B D C and then well, other projects like Bacom in Cambodia and all but I mean it's still too early to to have like any actual framework we have like some some hints like those BIS reports and some attempts to create uh, interoperability systems but that's all for now it's
0: going to take some time even uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know we we are living the age of open banking and uh, (laughs) you know the the frameworks are still somehow uh, lost Uh, if we go to Europe uh, payment service directive It doesn't have, you know, it's a framework, but it's not a framework where it gives you all the details. So it's still up to interpretations. And those are, you know, uh, 15, 16 years old uh, uh, directives. Uh, I'm going to take the last uh, two questions. Yeah, if you have uh, any comment before we continue. No, no, no. I'm going to take from uh, FDKAR, which is, do you think each country will have their own decentralized digital currency in a near compared to to adopting regional currencies such as euros, I think we did answer this, uh, somehow in our, uh, uh, replies. Um, would you, would like to hear, uh, your, uh, comments or opinion about, uh, Nigeria in our, uh, digital coin.
1: Well, actually I think it's, it's, uh, very interesting no? because, um, well, it's, uh, the first, uh, project of this kind that we see in Sub-Saharan Africa. And I think that, um, At least, to me, one of the main uh, advantages or use cases for CBDCs are in those areas uh, whose unbanked population is higher. Um, Because it's true that uh, in Europe, a CBDC may may be interesting, may make a difference to some extent, but I don't think it's going to be maybe that uh, life-changing compared to to what kind of benefits CBDCs may bring to to countries or areas like Sub-Saharan Africa, the Indian subcontinent, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. It's, I think, Indonesia as well, Philippines. It's in these kind of countries where financial or the lack of financial inclusion is a big issue, where uh, CBDCs, to me, can actually play even like a bigger role. Uh, and that's why, well, I mean, seeing like the mm, well, the first or at least the most advanced uh, CBDC, you know, project or reality, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa. Is something that I found uh, very interesting, and I actually think that um, other governments in in the area should um, try to to follow Nigeria's lead and and work towards their own CbDCs as well because it may actually make a huge difference. Because in in many African countries, same as it happens in India or Pakistan, the issue is not so much about uh, people lacking uh, technology because to some extent, I mean. Many people may own like smartphones or laptops. No, I mean, what they lack sometimes, is, you know, physical to access to a physical bank branch, et cetera. So I think it's in that in those areas where financial inclusion is a bigger issue where uh, this idea might be like even more um, interesting. So I think it's something great to see a CBC project in there. And I actually think that this should encourage the neighboring countries to, to follow Nigeria's lead.
0: Do you think so far it has been successful or uh, it is uh, also facing some challenges?
1: You mean in nigeria
0: yeah
1: well i mean it's facing challenges of course no i mean but it's hard to say i mean we cannot say like ACB has been successful uh, yet because to be honest we cannot say that not even like for china i mean we're not that for for anyone no because it's way too early so i mean of course it's facing challenges but um i mean i'm sure that they will manage to to like overcome those and and eventually make it succeed No, I, I mean, the idea is there so the technology is there as well. It's not that difficult, actually. So I guess it's going to work. I mean, that's my, my prediction at least, and I hope this this actually encourages others to follow uh, their lead.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to shed a little bit on this because my opinion is, you know, if we look at Iran, uh, uh, Central Coin, and if you look at Venezuela, uh, because there was lack of trust and lack of, uh, you know, support from the people, uh, the project succeeded there was a uh, digital currency, but actually it was not being implemented because the people didn't adopt it. And this is where we're going to see, I think the failures or the success of it uh, in uh, in El Salvador. And then uh, this is where I want you to maybe just uh, explain a little bit what happened in Salvador, high level. Uh, it was a different thing. And this is the where today, you know, some people are fighting it, some others are adopting it because they don't have any monetary uh, financial system in, in place so some people you know find it as an opportunity other people they just don't want to take that wagon so i'll take the last comment on uh, uh, el salvador and then we will uh, close our uh, if i didn't take any question from the audience the last ones you know i think we did pass all of the questions so meanwhile please shed some light and then we will uh, close our session for today
1: um no well i think uh... El Salvador's case is actually a uh, very interesting, no? I mean, because it's the first country doing so, and it kind of uh, breaks that idea rule that I said before. No, I mean, CBC is issued by a central bank, legal tender, whereas cryptos are this kind of uh, new concept, like this, um means of payment, but basically a commodity, investment asset class, a very, a very like interesting one, reward-wise, but at the same time very volatile. So El Salvador has kind of um, been bolder, and and well, decided now to to do something that no one else dared to do. I think it is interesting. Uh, I also think that uh, it's way too early to to know for sure how this experiment will go, because uh, they, um, I mean, uh, Bitcoin became legal tender in El Salvador on September seventh, so we are talking about less than three months ago. I mean, it's way too early. Uh, I actually read yesterday that El Salvador's president David Bukele uh, announced that they would be creating as well a Bitcoin uh, city, uh, basically a city by a volcano, thing, think, where uh, practically no taxes would exist in, in, in there, there would be no taxes aside from, from a minor one. So I mean, it's interesting to see them trying to do that, but um, we need to think as well that um, what El Salvador is doing might not be that feasible for every country because as we said before el salvador practically lacked any kind of monetary policy whatsoever so that's what makes um, it makes it kind of easier to try to be so bold in a place that uh, monetary policy wise was so bad you No, know? so i mean others may try that as well if they are in a similar situation but uh, I mean, uh, if you are like a country with not so many travels from a monetary policy perspective, it is much more, um, much more uh, risky. And I think that the main risk uh, comes from the fact that uh, Bitcoin is very volatile. No? So, uh, making something as volatile as Bitcoin become your legal tender is actually or will be challenging. But I mean, they try to do so. They are vaulting off. So we need to to keep like waiting and and seeing uh, what they do and, and how they they do it no but i mean it is interesting no? i mean experiment i think uh, leaving El salvador aside though i think that um, one interesting thing from this case in el salvador is that um, regardless of whether you want to make bitcoin legal tender or not is the idea that uh, cryptocurrencies um, have actually a true potential um to when it comes to promote uh, to promoting financial inclusion no? i mean i think that's undeniable i mean Maybe you don't need to make Bitcoin or cryptos in general become legal tender in your country because that's much more risky. Maybe you don't need to get to that point. I don't know. But uh, acknowledging that uh, cryptocurrencies may work towards promoting financial inclusion is actually actually, um, something uh, uh, very interesting. Uh, Even though CBDCs may play a role in that area as well, same as virtual banking. So that's what makes this whole area so fascinating because it keeps changing and you need to keep track of that and it's something that but, I mean it changes so fast that that, that it's uh, actually exciting
0: yeah uh, thank you for that and just uh, if you have last words uh, before we close our session uh, and thank you again for being here I know it's it's very late for you <laughs> but uh, we'll try to uh, you know uh, thank you I for that a... please go ahead.
3: yeah I have an observation only about El Salvador uh, yes. I think the uh, making the Bitcoin as a legal tender was uh, made kind of an executive order more than after a thorough and an objective study by the monetary authority to do so. And it was an attempt to regulate Bitcoins, nothing more than that. And I think, and I agree with your guest in the sense that uh, I think the El Salvadorian experience is bound to fail. Because uh, it was not built on solid ground from a monetary exactly. policy perspective.
1: Yes. No. Actually, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, you need to keep in mind that uh, things in central uh, countries in central in Central America, such as for example, El Salvador, uh, work a bit differently, you know, compared to to other countries. So, I mean, it's pretty much what you said. It's not like uh, like we're talking about a country, you know, whose government like uh, thoroughly analyzed what it implied and then they decided to 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 um, To go ahead no, to move forward with that it, it's not exactly like that no? it was more like a, it was a bold move, but at the same time um, a kind of desperate move because their situation was what it was so that's why a El Salvador case is interesting, but we cannot like um, assume that just because it uh, failed or succeeded in the future, uh, it needs to be like that in any country no? i mean I think that um, if deploying a CBDC takes like, uh, so many efforts and time, uh, making Bitcoin become your legal tender, it's actually much worse than that no? because you are actually making a cryptocurrency not controlled by, by your central bank and very volatile become your legal tender. So, I mean, that's to me only thinkable of in a country uh, which well, things work differently and which is in a different uh, situation. No, I don't think that an example like uh, applicable to to any country like in any situation even though of course like the, the benefits that I think that maybe what this example in you know, El salvador will show us is that uh, cryptocurrencies may play a role in promoting financial inclusion I mean well we know that certain people say that and i and I agree with them no I mean, in that area yes it is true that in cryptos may play a role but when it comes to becoming legal tender and doing certain things well you need to be much more careful in that area
0: Thank you. And uh, if you just uh, put the last words and then we conclude our uh, session today.
1: Well, um, first of all, uh, thank you very much for uh, having me here today. No, I mean, it's been a pleasure. And then um, I'm just going to conclude by saying that uh, central bank digital currencies are going to be one more element no, of this uh, future of money. This future of money is not going to involve any more just uh, the physical Notes and coins that we had before—it's going to be much more than that. No, I mean it's going to be, to me at least, I think this complex ecosystem where uh, CBDCs and physical notes and cryptos even will uh, coexist to some extent. No, to what extent it's going to depend? Well, I mean on the citizens, of course, because if a citizen doesn't want to stop using coins and notes or physical ones, well, then I mean. Uh, things might not change that much, but it's also going to depend on the governments, on central banks. It's going to depend on how they regulate it on many things. But still, the idea is that one. No? I mean, the future of money is going to be much more diverse. It's going to include many more elements. And in general, uh, traditional banks, commercial banks, the incumbents will need to adapt. I mean, many of them are doing so, and those which are not doing so will need to do it. Otherwise, they may risk uh, being left uh,
0: behind. Yeah, I'm just going to share a uh, final... Uh... Website in the chat, which is in case you want to know more about CBDC and track them, what's happening in the world, uh, where are uh, implementation. It's called cbdctracker.org. So it's there in the chat. So if you want to look out uh, and you know follow up on the projects and so on, uh, I'm gonna say thank you, Dr. Oriol. Um It was pleasure having you on this platform, and uh, you know you have a lot of value being here, <laughs> and you know being in a leader. And uh, in, in, in those technologies, and especially, you know, uh, I think you are living in the eye of uh, that technology today in, in Asia. And uh, thank you again for being here. So I'm not. I'm just gonna share my screen and just remind you that uh, Wednesday we have crypto talks. Wednesdays, the usual uh, part of uh, our crypto talks with Tay. Uh, last week we had a great uh, guest from Polkadot. And also, uh, the head of the metaverse. Uh, You know, there's a lot of metaverses today, and it's a very hyped world. So, if you wanna check out the previous uh, session on YouTube, uh, please check it out. And uh, uh, don't forget the digital transformation masterclass or intro to masterclass. Again, it's free. Uh, I'll be heading the digital transformation. Uh, Christoph Zaubi will be artificial intelligence, and Ahmad Manzoor will be about the blockchain. And I would believe those three, there's more, uh, but those three are the technologies of the future. So uh, make sure you subscribe, and you register, and you attend those trainings, uh, of course, because these are very important. So it's on 30th of November. that i would like to thank everybody who attended this session it was really uh uh much you know uh, interesting uh, thank you doctor for making it uh you know more interesting i guess with the audience and uh, the topic thank you thank you uh, my pleasure thank you and see you uh soon and hopefully we will uh you know uh see you wednesday first and hopefully we'll see you uh, within uh, like a couple of next couple of weeks with another session, and from here on. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Goodbye.